You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. I have Paul Turner and Robert McBride. They're co-founders of Felix Biotechnology. Felix is F-E-L-I-X. We're going to talk about uh, what they do. So, Paul and Robert, thanks for coming. Sure, happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Great. Well, tell me about uh, the premise of uh, Felix Biotechnology. What's the company about? Sure. So, uh, happy to share that Felix Biotechnology is about solving one of our biggest, if not our biggest, biomedical challenges, and that is the failure, the widespread failure of uh, traditional antibiotics. And in particular, what we are doing is developing bacteriophages, or phages for short, and these are viruses that specifically kill bacteria. It's an old technology for which we are updating it, and we are trying to march towards commercial development and approval for phage to be used in the USA and elsewhere as drugs, essentially, that combat the antibiotic resistance problem that has surfaced in bacteria. Oh, that's great. Yeah, from, uh, you know, from what I see, uh, pharmaceutical companies have broad-spectrum antibiotics, and I know that that was probably all they could do because it took a long time, days or weeks, or not at all, in order to be able to sequence what's going on with a person who's ill. So I guess now that sequencing is getting faster and faster, and it can be done hopefully within hours, then you can identify a particular virus that can get rid of the bacteria that's ailing someone. That's very true. So the all the way from uh, the early 1900s, when phage were first discovered, it realized the the early discoverers and researchers they seized upon the fact that phage are specific. So you can, if you have this match between the phage and the target you can be very precise in targeting an infection. And uh, decades after, after then, when antibiotics came around, essentially those are sometimes called narrow versus broad, but they're all relatively broad, especially compared to a phage. And uh, now that we know a lot about the microbiome and the collateral damage that can happen there, uh, it is now hand-in-hand hand with the widespread figure of antibiotics. I think it's realized that a much more precise approach would be better anyway. And I think that that's one of the many reasons that phage biotechnology and this sort of precision medicine that can come from it is something that shows great promise. Yeah, as a bacteria is exposed to more antibiotics and becomes more resistant to multiple antibiotics, what happens to its accompanying phages? How do they change and how fast can they keep up? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, as bacteria see antibiotics in their environment, either through uh, purposeful use by humans in, in biomedicine as therapy, 
but also an agricultural feed just to make animals plumper, then the, the thing we know now is that bacteria can evolve widespread resistance to lots of antibiotics. Um, the phages that exist alongside bacteria in natural environments, you know, that whole interaction between antibiotics and bacteria pretty much has very little to do with the interactions between phage and bacteria. Um, and kind of at the heart of your question, I also hear that if you have phage interacting with bacteria, of course, this is going to exert a similar kind of selection so that the bacteria will evolve resistance to the phage. And that's where Felix Biotechnology comes in as our innovation is we find phages that kill the target bacteria, but we understand the underlying evolution. And we want to purposefully find phages that kill the bacteria, but when they ultimately exert selection for the bacteria to evolve away from the phage, it changes the bacteria in a way that is more promising for biomedicine and for therapy anyway. And by that, a uh, good example would be if you have phage killing the bacteria through interacting with a mechanism that's responsible for antibiotic resistance in the bacteria, then they'll not only kill the bacteria, but they'll direct the evolution of the bacterial population to solve that phage problem by changing that mechanism. And we've shown that that can make the bacteria sensitive to antibiotics instead. So we see this as a double-edged sword where we have new updated technology on the phage side that is actually working hand in hand with increasingly outdated technology on the antibiotic side. And we're not only solving the antibiotic resistance problem, but in a way we're keeping antibiotics around that can work with our phage and using them together in therapy, I think is a great way forward. Yeah, that's why I was wondering if you, you know, pick a species of bacteria that you're working closely with, you know, mm -hmm. what is it for instance? And then I'll, I'll ask you my question. Sure. So Pseudomonas aeruginosa is an exceedingly common bacteria in the human home and natural environments, and it is gaining uh, increasing antibiotic resistance. So therefore, it's on the World Health Organization priority pathogen list since 2017, along with some 11 or so other bacterial pathogens. But essentially, we've found phage uh, that are underneath the umbrella here of Felix Biotechnology that interact with what are called efflux pumps on these bacteria. And in P. originosa, these efflux pumps, if antibiotics get into the cell, then they actively pump them out with these proteins. So if you have phage interacting with those proteins and using them as a way to kill the bacteria, then naturally the bacteria are gonna evolve away from the phage if they can. And if they do, they compromise the functionality of those efflux pumps. So in this way, that's an example of killing the bacteria and also directing the evolution of the bacterial population towards greater sensitivity to antibiotics because the phage is causing these efflux pumps to fail. Is the, um, so when you look at the phages themselves, one that uh, is attacking their efflux pump, one that isn't, you know, it's still nat a natural predator of the original Pseudomonas, um, are they very different or is the same phage doing both jobs? Yeah, so, you know, phage are amazing biological entities, but they, like other viruses, they don't carry around a whole lot of genomic information. So it tends to be that a phage will interact with a target bacterial species, but it's usually interacting with some receptor or occasionally a secondary receptor as well that's very different from some other phage. 
So the way to think about this is bacteria have lots of things decorating their exterior for which phage have naturally evolved to exploit those as binding sites or interaction sites. But uh, by the same token as humans have lots of viruses that can exploit us, bacteria, each bacterial species has lots of phage that can exploit it. And we are discovering the phage that are best at interacting with these myriad different virulence factors on some target pathogens such as Pseudomonas aeruginosa, but we have the same interest in finding a whole suite of phages that are interacting with, say, Staph aureus, uh, that's antibiotic resistant like MRSA, um, you know, and a variety of other pathogens such as pathogenic E. coli, Klebsiella, et cetera, et cetera. So the... I guess... Um, sort, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. In terms of strategy, though, so if I have, uh, you know, Staph aureus, um, you don't know if I have MRSA or not. What's, what, what's the safe right. protocol? Is it to give me phages, give me a whole bunch of phages that work on Staph aureus normally, plus a whole bunch that work on the MRSA version, MRSA version at the same time? Mm-hmm. And that way, so, the bacteria has nowhere to hide, and it just, the two go at it and kick its ass? Or, I mean, what's, what's like a ideal protocol? And what are yeah, the that's a terrific question. I, I think the, the knee-jerk response and what looks attractive to the biomedical community is to use a cocktail. And what you just described reminded me of that idea, which is a popular one. That is, you find as many phages as you can, you bundle them all together, and you throw them at the target. And in some cases, that solution could be a good one that is a one-off solution. If you're very desperate and you really don't know much about that pathogen and what it presents as binding sites, then you throw everything at it if you're really desperate. We favor a much more precise approach that we think will have a longer shelf life, if you will. And that is, if you want to go after some target pathogen, say, in the same person, then if you use all those phages initially in a cocktail, then you certainly are going to be exerting strong selection on the bacteria to evolve away from every last one of them. And therefore, your options quickly run out. Whereas what we favor is you find a handful of very trusted phages that are exerting these trade-offs that I mentioned. You use them individually. Maybe you use them sequentially. But what Felix Biotechnology strives to do is take that approach instead. We think it has uh, uh, the option for repeated solutions and a longer sustainability of using these phages as drugs. And it is possible, um, you know, not to confuse, but essentially phages can be used for diagnosis as well. So one way that phage biotechnology can be moving forward is through faster diagnostics. Let me take my pathogen that's in this person, I'll put it in a test tube, and maybe I'll expose it to a variety of phages that are not used for therapy, but when they bind to the bacteria, they light up in a certain way so that I know quickly what bacteria am I dealing with? And then I could move over to the therapy side and say, aha, now that I know what that pathogen is, I've got a set of phages that Felix Biotechnology is working on, and I'm going to use one of those phages because it exerts this very uh, useful trade-off that I had mentioned earlier. Does that make sense? Yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, What if the bacteria you're trying to get rid of, uh, if you get rid of too many of them, they disappear from the host that causes a dysbiosis. Like, you know, like C. difficile, it seems to be present in people 
in low amounts. And when people are sick, it you know takes predominance. But if it was eliminated, right. what if that causes a dysbiosis itself? So I get. I wonder, is that a trade-off that uh, has been looked at? It is that a trade-off. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question. And frankly, it relates to, we know microbiomes exist, and we are getting a handle on what species are in those communities, but we are a far way off from going in and precisely carving out something and assuming everything else will function normally. So essentially, there's a lot of excitement, and uh, deservedly so, for microbiomes and what they do, uh, how they're beneficial, but it, you know it depends on the target. So a lot of what we've been doing is developing phages that go after lung infections in people who are undergoing pulmonary failure. And the human lung does have some species complexity, but not nearly as much as say the human gut. So there are some targets that are harder than others, and I feel like I should say that because when you're talking about okay, I'm going to go in, I'm going to carve out a pathogen, I'm going to kill it with a phage. It sounded like your question was, what happens to the remaining members of that community, or could even this create an easier possibility for another pathogen to move in to that community and cause greater harm? Yeah, and I can't say that that's not possible. I do think it's unlikely. But your question is a terrific one, because I think it goes back to community biology, community ecology. This is, this, that's very hard stuff to study in and of itself. And there are a whole bunch of people who are studying it in various realms, but uh, this is the eve that we find ourselves upon, right? Is that we can do this better and easier and faster with phage to alter microbiomes. But I think it's indicative of we need a lot more research and effort to exactly see what comes next. I'm not very worried about it, but I think your curiosity is a, it's a good one and it's indicative of there's a lot more research to be done anyway. Yeah, and then in terms of uh, phage action, do they have off-target effects where they target other bacteria or even a person's somatic cells, or do they never attack a person's somatic cells? So they never attack a person's somatic cells. I mean, there is evidence in the literature of human cells within your body. They might take up phage, uh, you know, engulf them as a way to recognize, is this some invader so there is interaction with human cells, but there's, as far as I am aware, and anybody, all the literature I've seen, there's never been any indication that a phage will cause harm to a human per se. I mean, you can have, just like any genetic element in bacteria, for which they've got a lot of them, plasmids, transposons, phages, that are stably integrated into bacterial chromosomes, they themselves can carry harmful genes. But it's matter of proper characterization and knowledge of the biology when you're doing phage biotechnology, if you know what you're dealing with through genetic sequencing and genome annotation, et cetera, then you can quickly convince yourself that you're working with something that's safe to be placing in the human body because it has no known uh, you know, relatedness to any toxin genes, et cetera. So uh, getting back to the real heart of your question, uh, if you use a phage against a target pathogen and that pathogen is closely related to something that's in the human gut, such as if you're going after pathogenic E. coli and you're worried about collateral damage of that phage shifting over onto normal E. coli in the gut, then yeah, that's a possibility. But it's good to remember that humans have a very rich biodiverse virome, including phages anyway. So those bacteria 
that are there in your body, they see phages and yet they are able to hang out in your body. So if I placed another phage in there that's distantly related to something that's infecting them, I don't see that that phage is going to get some extreme advantage in jumping over to that normal commensal bacterium that's in your gut anyway. That bacterium has its own problems, the phages that are entering into your gut from the food and water and what else that you drink that are going after those commensals. I don't think we're doing any harm to humans in that way. Well, if someone's infected with a certain bacteria, they're going to have phages that are killing that bacteria. They just may not have enough of them. Is that right? Correct. That is very true. Yeah, it's not the expectation that if you get an infectious illness that you'll get a healthy dose of the phage that would help you. Otherwise, we wouldn't be worried. But in a way, you could say say you're not introducing anything new, introducing more of something that already exists to help someone that's sick. That's right. And I think that's why the FDA has been relatively uh, very supportive of what we're doing, uh, very willing to talk to us about this. I mean, everybody knows we need some solutions going forward. Antibiotics are not going to do it. And phage show a whole lot of promise. But uh, without getting over the regulatory hurdles, without uh, intimately involving the FDA in these discussions, I don't think the path forward is going to be easy. So I've been uh, very happy so far with the individuals I interacted with at the FDA. Look, the regulatory hurdles are there for a reason, because this is new technology going forward. You know, ironically, it's very, very old technology, and yet we're trying to update it, and therefore it becomes new. So that's precisely why people like me and my colleagues, you know, in this coming year, we're planning to write a review paper on this is, you know, here are the regulatory hurdles in the USA and elsewhere, and here's the research that might help us address those regulatory hurdles because they're there for a reason, and yet we want to know enough about this technology to feel safe and effective moving forward. I was going to tell you, you should joke with them and say you want a phage two clinical trial. Correct. Bad, so we... No, uh, yeah. Phage, you know, bad, bad joke. Got it. <laughs> Got a phage two clinical trial. I like that. Sorry, I missed it. So the uh, I should probably let Rob talk a bit about the uh, where the company is going forward. But I'll just uh, mention that of course what we need are clinical trial data, and that's going to be the most convincing thing to 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 say. For example, I've got a set of phages. We've already used them in emergency treatment and in a sense, personalized medicine to help individuals. But we would like to know how useful would these phage be for generally protecting the human lung for people who are quite susceptible to lung infections, such as those with cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. There are millions of individuals in the USA alone who are very susceptible to opportunistic bacterial infections coming in and essentially destroying their lung tissue forcing them to have a lung transplant or worse. So a clinical trial is what we are planning to do this year to look at the safety and efficacy of our leading phage candidates for Felix Biotechnology and to prove that this is a generally effective thing moving forward. Rob, do you want to say anything about that? Uh, I'll just I mean, add to what you say, uh, said. We, you know, we do have um, data from 
patients that we've been uh, fortunate enough to help right now on compassionate use basis, suggesting that these therapies are not only safe, but also very effective. And so to Paul's point, um, we have, uh, with the uh, support of the CF Foundation uh, and some Yale resources, we have the ability this year to run a research uh, clinical trial, which will give us the ability in a controlled fashion to replicate the data we're getting from the compassionate use uh, 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 trials that we're helping patients with. Um, and, and this will help us accelerate the, the, the ability to get these treatments out to patients um, more broadly. And that's the, 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 why the company was formed, was to accelerate that development and to get this benefit into the hands of as many people uh, as quickly as possible. So what, um, I don't know, what are some of the, the things you haven't talked about that really just like blow your mind in regards to phages and the work you're doing? What are some unexpected things that are happening that are really curious? Well, I, I guess I have to say I'm, I, I continue to be fascinated by the fact that it's working so well. The unfortunate thing is the Western world turned its eyes distinctly away from phages and phage biotechnology and phage therapy during the middle part of last century when we invested heavily and looked only at antibiotics. So the Remarkable thing to me is that if you place this kind of technology in the hands of people who are trying to understand, you know, all biology relies on details and understanding them. So chemotherapy, et cetera, you know, there's a lot going on there. So we have a lot that we are researching, but I am just so impressed with the fact that Individuals are willing to undergo emergency treatment and that the treatment is working, at least in our hands. So this, this is very promising. <clears throat> and I, I try, uh, well, I, I very purposefully, I don't oversell the technology, though. You know, I believe the future is that phage have a role to play here. I'm not so naive to think that they would replace everything that antibiotics and other drugs had done in the past. Well, no. But there's certainly a lot of space moving forward for phage to play an important role. And uh, I guess that, if it is an answer to your question, is that the future seems bright, not because I wear rose-colored glasses, it's because the data that we're seeing from patients, the outcomes that we're seeing for emergency treatments in our hands and elsewhere, you know, this stuff shows a lot of promise. It's very impressive. Are there fast-track initiatives uh, for some conditions that, you know, obviously are... Uh very acute and happen very fast and have a high mortality? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm not sure, Rob, if you've encountered anything that's been labeled sure. as fast track. Yeah, so um, that's a good question. And certainly there are a number of mechanisms within the sort of the clinical trial infrastructure that you can leverage depending on the indication you're going after that will help you move more quickly. Um, and help you to do things for with with less uh, capital outlay, right? And so, you know, one of the our, our initial focus is on uh, helping cystic fibrosis patients who have Pseudomonas aeruginosa infections. That um, because of the number of patients involved in that in the U.S., that's an orphan designation, and so that gives you some ability to run things uh, uh, smaller trials and to get some some benefits. We can also apply for. Uh, um, uh, fast track, um, given the designation that we're going after, and that will also help to sort of um, speed things up. So there are uh, things we can um, sort of leverage given the indication, right? So that wouldn't necessarily be the same if we're going after 
um, a, a much broader or much larger indication. Yeah, is there uh, are there a lot of companies that are trying to develop phage therapy? And if so, I would think uh, you know a rising tide would lift all boats. If you know the FDA approves one and then another and another, it may open the floodgates for a lot more for you guys to push through. Maybe in, even in a fast track manner or just in general, it may help ease the roadblocks. Mm-hmm. I, you, you can, I can yeah, go ahead. Well, if you want to, no, um, you go ahead. So, yeah. So there, okay. So there definitely are um, some companies in the space, right? Uh, and 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 they're they're they've got great scientists and they're doing great work. I. I want to harken back to something Paul mentioned earlier about the cocktail approach. I would say one of the things that is generally true about the other phage companies in the space is that they do deploy the cocktail approach um, uh, to help uh, increase the, the, the sort of the, the number of phage, I mean, bacteria that they can treat. And, and we do appreciate that approach, and we do think that it has applicability specifically for, um, for one-off applications, and those may be more acute and more systemic. Um, we, you know, the data that we've seen in our hands suggests that that approach is not um, an ideal approach for um, extended uh, application, right, for chronic uh, treatment. And so, so we are, you know, we, we do know that there are the people in the, in, in the space, and we're, we admire them and we respect them. Uh, and you're absolutely correct, right? There isn't a phage therapy on the market right now in the U.S., uh, and the first phage product that gets onto the market is going to be beneficial for everybody else, right? Because that then it shows people, you know, in, in the investment community that this can work, that the risks are, are reasonable, and that there's a, a commercially viable uh, opportunity. Um, the second thing I'll briefly mention about the space in general is that we are in um, a very challenging economic space, right? So there are a number of other traditional antibiotic makers that recently have declared bankruptcy. Uh, and there, the, so, uh, you know, there's the, the regulatory challenges uh, and the systemic challenges around the economics post, um, you know, once you've gotten through the FDA regulatory hurdles are another big issue um, uh, that needs to be addressed. And there are regulatory uh, uh, propositions in place to try to address those sort of systemic challenges because, uh, you know, we've had examples of companies that have had technical success, um, achieved, gone through clinical trials successfully, and then uh, failed because they couldn't make money because of the um, sort of the reimbursement and the and the volume challenges that they ex- are exposed to. So, so that's an additional challenge for all of us in the field to get through. I think Sage are uniquely positioned to not be uh, as impacted by the existing sort of uh, challenges that, that impact the traditional uh, antimicrobials, but it certainly is something for all of us to to think about and to uh, help address. And so the first, it's really important for our first therapy to not only be technically successful, but to also be commercially successful. Yeah, and you know how in the in the cancer world, it would be very, very difficult for a therapy to come out where, you know, you would clinically say, all right, don't do chemo, don't do radiation. There always seem to be, you know, uh, come-alongs or adjuvants. So do you think phage therapy will be like that where, the approval will look like, okay, the patient still has to be on antibiotic, but they also have phages. Or do you think it'll just be phages alone, and that's what will be approved as a therapy? Um, I'll maybe take a first stab at that. I think that's a terrific point, and it's frankly why we've had, I believe, a lot of success, is that we are willing to work with physicians where the standard of care may not be altered at all. So in just to be clear, If the standard of care is delivery of some antibiotic that had worked in the past, but frankly, it's not working anymore, our kind of technology revives its usefulness. So we are very willing to have the phage administered alongside that antibiotic. And as I described earlier in the podcast, that if you have 
the phage killing the bacteria while they are also exerting selection pressure on a mechanism that makes the bacteria sensitive to antibiotics, then the antibiotic that's delivered alongside the phage is actually not useless. It's a standard of care and we revive its usefulness. So to me, that's, that's a pretty good adjunctive approach when you've got the phage working as well as something delivered alongside it for which it's reviving its usefulness. Um, I'd like to add something on the back end of that poll. Uh, so yeah, excellent point. Um, just very, very briefly, one of the things I think that we haven't chatted about that really differentiates phage from traditional antibiotics is the, is the lack of significant um, side effects, right? So not only, you know, when you take an antibiotic, you, you kill the bad bugs, but you also kill all the good bugs. So that doesn't happen with phage, but we don't have any of the side effects. So to answer your question specifically, um, I think our primary goal, and this is paramount in, in everything that we do, is we want to help the patient. And so if the best answer for the patient is a, a, a sort of a, a combination therapy, we definitely are going to figure out a way to do that and to make it work. Um, I think the science is going to really help us get to that point, though. And I think part of uh, our clinical trial approach is to ask that question explicitly, you know, what is the best outcome for the patient? Is it uh, joining these two therapies together? Is it having phage alone? Uh, and so once we get data on that, I think that'll help us um, uh, you know, sort of go forward more effectively. We, but to Paul's point, we are very open to the adjuvant uh, model. Um, the key thing for us, though, is, you know, what does the science say, and is that the best uh, outcome for the patient? Does that provide the best outcome? And uh, does it appear that the result is good enough with phages alone? Or, again, do you feel like you might have to include antibiotics or, you know, antimicrobial peptides or a whole host of other things to help yeah. the phages work? Where's the data like so I, I think, good that you don't need that? I think phage alone are uh, make a compelling case in the data that we have so far for them to be standalone, right? So I, I think we do have data to support that. Um, as we get into larger trials and go after different indications, that answer may change. Um, but I think for now, with the indication that we're going after, we have clear data to support the fact that phage is a standalone therapy for our specific indication is more than sufficient. Paul, is there anything I, I missed that? No, I think that that's a great summary. Um, I, if I could kind of restate a little bit of what Rob mentioned, we are open-minded, but we look to the data. You know, we, we do believe that phage could be standalone, but we understand uh, how it also might contribute by delivery alongside another approach. Um, maybe a little I would add to that is I suspect the FDA, based on available evidence, it's quite different if you take two brand new technologies and bundle them together and look for synergy and try and move forward. That's not such a comfort space for the FDA. If you take phage alone or if you take phage in combination with something else that's known and trusted and approved long ago by the FDA, I see a lot more chance of those two possibilities than for phage plus something completely, completely new also. No, that makes sense. You got to do the approach that will get you there the fastest and the most likely to work. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess one more thing, this is echoing a bit of what Rob said earlier, is that social media is a strong force. Uh, we've had a lot of success. Word gets around. We've benefited from that by people being interested and lining up to try and get emergency therapy with us, um, trying to, uh, in, in a sense, actually push some of the foundations and even the government agencies to keep a greater open eye to what we're doing. And we're very 
understanding of that excitement, and yet we want to move forward as prudently as possible. But our motto at Felix Biotechnology is that patients can't wait, and that's true. I mean, there are some people who we've helped that if we had not stepped in, you know, at best, they would have faced a lung transplant. At worst, much worse than that, right? They would not have survived the infection. Yeah, that's just the way it is. So the patients can't wait, and we're trying our best to move forward. Uh, I hope that your listeners, if they have a chance, they can check out our website for Felix Biotechnology. It's www.felixbt.com. And, you know, we try and put on there some of the latest news about the exciting work that we're doing, but we also keep an eye to what others are doing, and we put it on that website as well. So um, it's an exciting time for phage therapy, and I hope your listeners go check it out for some more info. That's great. You asked a question. Oh, good. I just want to add to Paul, if you guys could follow us on on Twitter, too, at Felix Biotech. that's really helpful for us too. And it helps us get the word out and we get feedback on, on things that we should be thinking about that we aren't. So that's a, a great tool for us too. Well, guys, you asked, you asked my last question, you know, how can people learn more? So thank you both for coming. I appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate it a lot. Thanks for having us on. You're listening to the future tech podcast with Richard Jacobs, future technologies, such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.